It made me use my imagination in a different way for learning tunes. And I think surely that's the point of having archives and resources like this. Um, I, I, I often think of archives as like a, almost like a blood transfusion service for a person like me. And archives are made for that, I think, for re-animation. I always like to go back to sources and I always like to, when I'm playing the tune, that I know where it came from. It's very important to me. Not to every musician, but to me it's very important because especially when you're talking about traditional Irish music, we, we're very lucky that we can still do that and that we know exactly where the tunes came from, you know. When folklorist Rianiki Ogon was looking through the transcriptions of music and song collected by Seamus Ennis during his time with the Irish Folklore Commission in the 1940s, she discovered original material not found in the general repertoire and different versions of well-known tunes. And she wondered how musicians and singers today might interpret these same songs and tunes. Ennis had been particularly impressed by the music of Connemara and Donegal and last week we saw how musicians and singers interpreted some of the material he'd collected in Connemara. This week we'll see how players and singers responded to songs and tunes Ennis collected in Donegal. The Folklore Commission asked their collectors in the field to keep a record of their work in a daily diary and in Ennis's diary he often shows why he was drawn back to particular musicians in Donegal. Rianiki O'Gorn. Ennis was passionate obviously about music and song but there were particular musicians who appealed very much to him and that he really wanted to document their repertoire in as much as that was possible. And, for example, when he met Neely Boyle and wrote tunes from Neely Boyle, the fiddle player, and there's a very strong comment in, in the diary which says that he met Neely Boyle, heard him play the fiddle, and that he was one of the best fiddle players he had ever heard and that the music was ringing in his ears as he was walking home. And this inspired Ennis or drove Ennis to come back to visit Neely again and again and to write tunes from him. Rianuk gave copies of Ennis's handwritten music transcriptions collected in Donegal to players and singers with a particular association with Donegal and she asked them to select some pieces which would then be recorded and given a public platform on the website of the Irish Traditional Music Archive under the title Echoes from an Archive. The transcriptions that I sent to the musicians and singers are almost secondary documents to the field notes that Seamus Ennis wrote because... We can imagine when he was sitting, say, in Frank Cassidy's house and he was there writing out tunes, that it was only possible to transcribe a kind of a skeletal 
form of the melody and make note of the ornamentation. And very often, again in the diary, we read how when Ennis went home to his lodging house or wherever he was staying, that he tried to make a a fairer copy, if you like, a fuller copy of what he had written down from musicians and singers. Because the challenge of being on fieldwork was that he had to to walk or cycle long distances. He wasn't going to carry um, heavy notebooks and he didn't have the sound recording equipment. And often as well, he would have to come back to the person, the musician or singer, and revisit them and question them about a particular tune or a particular song just to ensure that he had the correct notes or the correct words or the correct ornamentation. And Reenock sent transcriptions of tunes collected from Frank Cassidy to Dermot McLaughlin, knowing of Dermot's high regard for this legendary figure of Donegal fiddle playing. It was really interesting to be looking at transcriptions of tunes that I knew. But you're, if, what I found was I'm looking at the... These are now like tunes in a slightly different accent because of how, the, how they were either played or whistled or lilted by Frank Cassidy and how... Seamus Ennis pulled that down out of the air and got it onto the uh, onto the page. Like what Seamus managed to capture is the kind of ephemerality of a performance with um, like unusual little uh, notes and details that just reflect uh, Frank Cassidy's. You would almost say like the musical DNA that he he carried. So. Um, What's really, what I found very uh, stimulating as a fiddle player was to go to to go to the um, Seamus Ennis transcript without the luxury of having a sound recording to back it up. So immediately you're entering the realm of your imagination and what does this sound like, you know? And it was fascinating also to um, just the the sense of um, attentiveness and fidelity. I think that Ennis brings to the transcriptions is really astonishing because um, to, to look at the, the, the transcript of the tune and almost be able to hear Cassidy playing it and the curious eccentric little notes that he does, it's, to me it was just a, a marvellous revelation um, for something that looks as um, static as a, as a handwritten text. It actually came, al- it came alive and it was a lovely, it was just a lovely experience to, to, to be looking at these um, on a screen, as it turns out, um, that didn't really make a difference. The, the transcripts are really beautiful, but just to be able to kind of, uh, suppose, imagine myself or transpose myself back to what could that have sounded like in, in Frank's house and 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 Cashelair and, and Teelan. Uh, I was actually in that house a few times and I actually spent a few nights in it and I even played the fiddle in it because of someone I knew bought the house and uh, restored it and it was a, it was a kind of... A, I wouldn't say it was a pilgrimage as such, but it felt there's someone. It felt very um, kind of complete in a way to be in that house and to play play the fiddle in it and play a few tunes that I had um, learned from recordings of Frank. As the means of communication are increasing all the time, from recordings to TV and radio and the internet, and tunes travel and enter a kind of general repertoire, so much so that local styles and accents are being eroded. I think it's inevitable that things are going to get smoothed out. You know, um, things. I think it would be unrealistic to expect... Um, Everybody to be able to play 
the exact version of, of say a source for example like Jimmy Lanz or Frank Cassidy so I do think sometimes tunes can can get a, a wee bit um, moderated or, or, or maybe standardized to some extent and a lot of the like for me a lot a lot of the beauty is um, it lies it lives in, in between parts of a tune which is like the maybe the connective tissues a little you know the syntax between the phrases um, the places where the unusual notes happen or, or where the little like micro rhythms might might take place where um, you know it's not on the beat all the time so when I was looking at the, the, the transcript of, of Australian waters um, it was God there's so many other things you, you could do with that tune and there's unusual little things that Cassidy did that Ennis captured and, and maybe had Ennis gone back to Frank Cassidy a week later it be, could be totally different you see, so I, I kind of like that, and I like the fact that there was more to that tune than I had ever heard or imagined. And this is Dermot's interpretation of that tune, Australian Waters. <laughs> Waney is well known as the singer and fiddle player at the centre of the group, Alton. She grew up in Guidor and remembers a story about Seamus Ennis collecting songs in the area. I heard about the time he went to see uh, Sheila Vicky. Sheila would see Seamus coming up the laneway and they had a few cows. She'd be cursing him. That fella's coming up the road. And he'll waste my day. I'll have to stay in here singing. <laughs> so that's her attitude. Like she thought she'd have to be out with the cows. She never thought of what richness that he was collecting and for us. 
there's a lot of social history there as well. And you know how important she felt with her two cows that it was more important to spend the day looking after the cows than singing her songs to Seamus Ennis. Maureen's sources were Maura Neverne and Maura's brother, Pather Oberon, from Teelin in southwest Donegal. And she chose a song of Maura's called Cúach Mulundav Bui. It's a light-hearted song in which a woman returns to her husband, having left him. Imahenis mavane kalgatin tori soro kramo kri Ser no waladun kasutun toi kar kua molundu bui Jeffrey shedus an yindu an noig van soro kramo kri Estut menar via gorbima van fosti kua molundu bui Moraid also chose a tune collected from Patheroburn. It was a version of the well-known tune Maggie Pickens, but here called Tog de Hyon, or Raise Your Head in the English. And, you know, when I'm listening back to it now, it's, it's such a quirky little way that the rhythm kind of, it, it, it loses a note and then it makes up for the time at the end. So the dancers wouldn't, they, they wouldn't miss a step because it's still on the rhythm. But to me, I find musically, it's very interesting. And, uh, you know, it's like a mathematical concept. You have to make up the rhythm at the end of it anyway.
singer Lilis O'Leary's source was a man called Dinny Boyle, a singer who holds a special place for Lilis. Dinny Boyle was a teacher in Garda Hawk School. Uh, he died about when I was two, I think, 1963. But I often heard people talking about him in very warm terms, and they also mentioned the fact that he was such a great singer. And it was kind of like a, a dream to me that I would never hear singing. Um, I, it was like that tantalising thing away from you that you can't touch. Uh, Willie Clancy had that same idea about Gareth Barry, uh, a piper from Clare who was born before the famine, but died before Willie was born. And he would always hear stories about him and he'd hear people playing his tunes and sort of that idea got into his head and he kind of wanted to model himself on that figure. Now, I don't think my association with Denny was that strong, but certainly there was a, 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 a sense of it that this man was a tradition bearer and he kind of left before I was able to meet him. And there was a song among the transcriptions of Dinny Boyle that held a personal resonance for Lillis. It was a song he already knew, but in a different version. It's a well-known song in the Scottish Hebrides. Uh, it's called Mahurahan. Uh, so that song was in my head, and I saw Dinny's version then, and I realised this is the connection between Ireland and Scotland. And it's coming from Antrim, because the note that Denis put with the song said that he had learned it in the place where I grew up, the very house that I grew up in. My, my family's business was run by my great-aunt at that time. And there were visitors there for summer, summer, summer visitors. And Denis had a session with them, and he picked this song up from this Antrim woman. So it was very personal then at that point. It, was, it brought everything that I was interested in together in one little... Fra it's really a fragment, but it's still very rich and valuable. And just Denis' way of singing things, he had his own airs to things. Even though we knew a lot of the material already, his way of singing them was different. He had a slight variation in the melodies, and, and I was very, very careful when I was recording to reproduce Denny's melody exactly rather than straying into the other versions which I also knew. And that song, Mahuranon, is a lullaby. Os Mahuranon, 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 Smaflodin Smile, oh, smile, oh. 
es mängel hoes beide jo kramo hrima hajinti de schacht mochri es mängel ho singer Brian O'Donnell was also given songs collected from Dinny Boyle. Although Brian is especially keen on the songs of his immediate locality, he was less familiar with Dinny's songs. I am particularly interested in the songs of my locality and the nearer they are to me, the better. And Dinny, uh, Fadine Donkey or Dinny Boyle, is from up the top of Lahonewer Lake um, an area up there called Lecherka. Uh, now he was teaching in Gorta Hork and I think that's where a lot of his recording took place. But he was from up there and he got his songs from his father and from the old people as uh, up around uh, that neck of the woods. So they're kind of not really too far away from me here. And I really, really liked the fact that he was local. He wasn't really terribly well known really as a singer um amongst you know when i was starting to learn we we definitely had heard of nelly vicky hudi and, and a lot of people from rana fast and Guidor, but not so much from up the top of la honure and up from that end of uh, the parish and entered on low parish so that's why i was really interested in denise songs brian is also very conscious of his links in the tradition if I sing a song, at the back of my head, I hear I hear the other people that I learned the song from. So when I'm singing a song, I can hear Teresa singing it, or else I hear Kathleen singing it, or I hear my friend Lilith singing it. So when I'm singing it myself, they're singing it in in my mind as well with me. So there's that kind of link to the person that you got the song from. Or there's the link to all the singers in the area who sing the song. Or there's the link to your granny who particularly loved that song. Or there's the link to the people that you got the songs from. And those links go right all the way back. And I suppose we're lucky here really uh, in West Donegal where Irish is still spoken uh, every day and everything in these parishes. And I can definitely link back to everybody. You know, people are who are passed on now that... When I was young, I sang along with them and with them all the time, you know. And one of the songs that Brian chose was Dinny Boyle's version of On Colleen Rua, The Red-Haired Girl. The mensha amlian namar vi manari Teya barna vaga mahashe huan Kharin mawad mahar chanin yasverin walalam makhalin rua Barla me na boys na barra, a wild darling is a chart on Kuan. Meshigas Mahalin Bamuncha, Barrel Shincher, Labuya Gondain Dun. Who I Mahalin Wado Waller, a Wado Waller, Master Slua, Neil and Wheeler, Hulcheer Fowler, Valiner, we are Matra Valier Mahalin Rua. Her mother barely a macher wahere. Hashi should the crenu and yergus in yer. We should the call of yon gudgeon, wadgeon, get hetchy and meshkakum a kalin rua. We shan clark in the heer heer. We should the brand new were found in the world. 
Харварлешена, киса хаталуна, эфан ляпала махалин руа. Чири махан ван Харишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишишиш
the blackbird among the berries, played there by Paddy Glacken. It was one of the tunes collected by Seamus Ennis from Huey Boner, and for this project Paddy drew on the tunes of Huey Boner and Neely Boyle. He'd grown up listening to stories of both men from his father, Tom Glacken, and was familiar with the tunes collected from them. Uh, Huey Boner was from, was from where my father was from, uh, in, out in uh, northwest outside Dunlow. Like, it, it was a pretty uh, remote part of Donegal. Like, it was right on the sea, up in a, up in a, in a kind of a hill, you know. And uh, so you can imagine, like, sort of the, the pastime, no electricity and all that sort of thing. So, so it would have been a pretty intense experience. My father always had, you know, he, he had that sort of Donegal disease of being absolutely mad for fiddles. He didn't really listen to an awful lot more. Just fiddle music, he was captivated by it. And uh, he played it morning, noon and night himself at home. And, and he'd always, you know, he'd play tunes that he got from Huey Boner. And he was a big, he was a big fan of Huey's. And of course, then I was, I was brought up in all these stories about Neely Boyle. So by my father, because he used to talk about when, when Neely, in, in the 30s and 40s, when 2RM was going, that when he'd be going to Dublin, Frank O'Higgins got him his first uh, broadcast, the, the fiddle player. So he recommended Neely Boyle to Seamus Clandillon, who was the first head of RTE, or 2RN at the time. And so Neely was invited, and he was, seemingly he was quite an eccentric man in, in, in many ways, uh, but a, a fabulous, fabulous player. So what he would do is he would go around the parish for about 10 days before he went to Dublin, testing out fiddles to see which fiddle he was going to bring with him. And Paddy's father saw true value in an artist like Neely Boyle. I think it would be fair to say he was... He was very, very proud of Neely Boyle. I think that's the word I would use, as they all were, because he was their man in their in, in their area. And there were all these other great players, like the Doherty's, who were the travelling musicians, who, when they came, it was an occasion. But Neely was, uh, you know, he was a very, very, very imaginative musician and kind of quite eccentric in some of the playing. You know, uh, and he, there was wonderful attack and there was a fantastic sort of... Um, there was a huge individuality in it, like that's very that I've never heard copied. And this is Patty's version of the current graces, which was collected from Neely Boyle.
Paddy Glacken was a friend of Seamus Ennis and was interested in Ennis's approach to making the transcripts. I was interested just to see what, how they sort of stacked up against the, very, the, the, tune, the versions I already had. So because I would have learnt a lot of those tunes from Donegal fiddle players. So I was interested in, this sort of, in the degree of accuracy that Seamus Ennis brought and indeed they were very accurate. Now there were just one or two kind of small variations that you'd expect from parish to parish, you know, that uh, there. But that was that, that was the guiding light for me, familiarity, and to, to feel comfortable with it, because I I took it upon myself that I wasn't learning something new, that I was that I was engaging with something that I already had, but I was engaging with it in a different sort of a, through a different process, if you like. I'm a huge sort of fan of the idea of the, of the transcription. Um, I mean, the publication recently of the Goodman Collection in the last 10 years, that opened a whole new world of music. Fascinating world, you know. And again, a lot of the tunes I already know, but God, the versions are extraordinary. And Paddy recorded Sean Secchio, a tune associated with Neely Boyle, as a duet with Dermot McLaughlin. It felt like the right idea that two fiddle players might have a go to, to play it in, in, in octaves because that's it's a big thing in, 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 in Donegal fiddle playing, as it is in Kerry fiddle playing. It doesn't happen so much in Sligo and, and Clare, but in between Donegal and Kerry, there's a, the, the fiddle players, they like to play in octaves. And the transcription of Sean Secchio offered a small change that made a big difference. Dermot McLaughlin. When, when Paddy and I were playing up and getting ready for it, I remember we, we, we had a... We had a chat about, uh, there was one note in particular, uh, an F-sharp that Neely, Boyle, <laughs> that Neely Boyle plays in, in the third part of the tune, and that really makes it. It really it's, it, it puts a, an entirely new inflection on the tune, especially when, you go, when you're going back into the repeat. It, just, it brightens it up. From her days with the trailblazing group Scara Bray in the early 70s to her solo recordings and more recently in the group Tea with the Maggies, My Radney Gonal has been an essential voice on the traditional music scene. People are often ask me, why do you decide to sing this song and not that song? I was always influenced by the air. 
I always, if I enjoyed, if I thought it was a beautiful air, and that's something about Donegal songs, they are beautiful airs. And uh, if I liked the air, then I'd learn the song. And my raid chose some songs collected from Sheila Nee Gallacor from Guidor, who, incidentally, was the aforementioned Sheila Vicky, reluctant to leave her cows for Seamus Ennis. For us, the Kajishan the Chasian is a very well-known song for around there. This was a different version of it, um, which I was fascinated by and delighted to have learned that new version because I think the air is really, really unusual. Gadation and Tation is sung from the point of view of a man who says, what does it matter to anyone else what I do? In other words, mind your own business. Glen to me higher is rich and mohor, could do some me haggis rich, liginst and all. Bardach banogat, a shallow one born of a crinu the leffin, the hat and the horn. Grafoli near Hogma the name Vriu, not a door no valin, a chreen a clew. Minali near Horme, Riu one space, smajasa a yalu were in Achme. The more in your you was than yes and your, than you'll in your cracken, so luckily go. The guy in Mavrishi, such in ye say, all good chasin and chasin, not my inchin though. Take it Crinu the Nerke, so well at a horn. Equahu atronona, Kehokus and Rods, good chasin and chasin, that muninchin doll. My raid grew up surrounded by traditional song. Her father was a collector with the Irish Folklore Commission, and her aunt, Nellie Nigonal, from Ranafast, had a huge repertoire of song. She was a blind woman. Uh, she probably stayed at home more than the rest of them because of her being blind. And she seemingly would ask people if she enjoyed a song to sing it once and then maybe sing it twice. And she usually had the song after that. She was an incredible woman. used to sit there and she'd knit an iron sweater a week, you know, and, uh, and sit and sing. And uh, But basically, my granny, when she used to say that when all the young men in the area were going off to Scotland to the... Tatty Hook and the potato picking and the all the, the seasonal work in Scotland. And they'd say, Maggie, what do you want back? And she'd say, bring me back a song. And I think songs travelled over and back because Nellie's repertoire was just extraordinary, you know. So that generation that got it from, they, that they got everything from uh, hearing, listening, um, you know, we, we now have to go to the to our uh, recordings and get the words in front of us and get try and find recordings. These people had, they, they just, it was an oral tradition. They learned, they listened, they liked, they repeated and they handed it on. But there were lots of other influences too. For example, My Raid's mother was very fond of show tunes and light opera. We had a, um, a gramophone, you know, that had... 78s and there was constantly going on big crosby uh you know ella Fitzgerald, all the the we we listened to every kind of music and she encouraged that a lot 
and Myraid chose to sing one of the songs accompanied by her sister Triana on the piano. I rarely sing on my own anymore. So, I mean, when I chose the particular uh, songs, um, I thought it would be a shame not to have Trina on the Kunlach Lass because it just, you know, it's special and she, her accompaniment and the way the two of us sing together. Kunlach Glasanoa is best known in English as the Green Autumn Stubble. It's a lyrical love song. Come, 
when ITMA, the Irish Traditional Music Archive, launched the Echoes from an Archive project showcasing all the newly recorded songs and tunes on their website. Dermot McLaughlin spoke about his approach to the project and how it had permanently altered the way he played the tunes. Um, I don't know if this sounds kind of eccentric or bizarre, but I, I spent months deliberately not playing the fiddle because I wanted to imagine what the music was like. So I was kind of playing it in my head and on my fingers, but without the instrument, and I had time to do that. Um, so it was a curious thing to do. I don't know what to do it again, but it was cer- certainly an interesting way to think to think about the music, not to play it, and and to think more about it and try to feel what would the tune be like. And what that did for me, um, and I don't know um, if this was a consequence I anticipated, but from a I suppose from a artistic point of view, it allowed me to think of, of some tunes that I knew really really well, like for nearly fifty years actually. Uh, it allowed me to come at them as new tunes, so I don't actually think about the tune I'm going to play. For example, a pinch of snuff is one of the first tunes I learned. So I'm I'm playing the fiddle probably um, about around about 55 years, right? But I came back to that tune like a totally new tune, and I can't actually play it the way I used to play it because of this project, which I think is a good thing, because it shows you that um, there's a kind of a creative catalyst in collections as well and in archiving. And, and it embodies why you have Tashka Hall do his Ireland. So it's, a, it's an amazing resource. That, and the way this project kind of embodied everything that collecting and archiving and that living tradition is about. So it was a, real, a great privilege, really, uh, to be involved. So thank you for that. So here, here's a tune, uh, The Pinch of Snuff. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ďakujem moc.